Welcome to the It's in Real Estate podcast, the show that demystifies the home buying and selling process. My name is David Grant. I'm a broker here in Salt Lake City for Grant Real Estate. Today on the show, I've got my producer Ryan with me, and we're going to look at the daily snapshot for all surrounding counties and what it means for you. We're also going to talk about the difference between a short sale and a foreclosure. And lastly, we're going to discuss what are your options if you're looking to sell your home, but you can't find one to buy. Stay with us. All right, today on Market Watch, we're going to look at the daily snapshot. This means that we're going to look at all statistics for the, this county, Salt Lake County, and all surrounding counties. And we're going to look at what that means from basically a comparison of where we're at today versus last year. And so when I give statistics like this, I do this for one main reason. What does this mean for you as a buyer? And as buyers listen to me, for sellers right now, this is this market's very easy on them because they're typically in the driver's seat. Everybody else is trying to play catch up. The buyers are just hoping to get a seat in the car. So in this circumstance, I'm going to I'm going to break down the statistics for Salt Lake County that comprises of Salt Lake City all the way down to the point of the mountain all those areas. I'm going to talk about Utah County, which is everything south of there. I'm also going to talk about some counties I don't typically talk about because this will give a kind of a high-level overview of where we're at in the state of Utah, and that's Davis County. That comprises of everything north of Salt Lake City. And then just north of that is Weber County. I have to talk about them because Ogden made the list. If you've you listened to two episodes ago, I discussed how Ogden made the number three on the top 10 most overvalued cities in the country. I want to talk about potentially why. And then Washington County, which is way down there where St. George is, closer to Las Vegas. Typically, that's an area where a lot of seniors go to retire because it's a much warmer climate. So let's first talk about active listings. That means that every listing that's currently for sale in Salt Lake County, this is the only county of all the ones I just mentioned that is down from this time last year. So this time last year, we had 25% more listings. This year, we only have 360 current listings. So if you're looking to live in Salt Lake City all the way down to Draper, anywhere east to west uh, that comprises of those cities, literally there's only 360 total available properties. And of the properties that were for sale, uh, the county, Salt Lake County, is also down 10% this time last year of under-contract properties. For those listening in other states, that means that this is in escrow or it's pending or contingent. If you go on Zillow or Realtor.com and you're looking at properties and you send them to your realtor and they say the words pending, contingent, in escrow, under-contract, that means those properties are off the market. Technically, they've accepted an offer. Those under contract listings are at eight, 1,840 right now. So for that county, Salt Lake County, if you're looking to buy, there might be better places to look at buying right now. Places like Utah County. Utah County is up 25% to 366 listings. Davis County, that's you know North Salt Lake all the way up through Farmington, all the way up to Weber, basically that is going to take you. They've got, they're up 52% in listings. They have 136 available right now. That's 52% more than they had last year. Even Weber, where Ogden is, 
they are up 47% to 124. And if you're looking at getting out of this northern uh, Utah altogether and want to go down to St. George, they're up 79% right now to 154. So what's happened here is, is that people have caught the bug and they're thinking, oh my gosh, we can cash out high. We want to put our home up for sale. And everybody did that in Salt Lake County. And now they're getting taken. And so there's less and less properties available. But now all these other counties, north and south of Salt Lake, are thinking the same thing. Hey, we want to sell. We want to cash out. We want to take the equity and do something with it. And this is what we're seeing trending right now. Under contract listings, so follow me. Remember I just mentioned Salt Lake County's down 10% to 1,840 under contract. Well, guess what? Utah County, which comprises of Lehigh all the way down to Payson, they're killing it. They're up 18% from this time last year. They're, they have 2,900 properties that are currently under contract. This place is building and building and building, and all the existing properties are being snatched up. Davis County, they're at 4%. They have 484 that are under contract. Weber, where Ogden is, interestingly enough, is down 12%, probably because it's so overvalued. So you have a little lopsided now. This is actually more of what would be considered a pseudo buyer's market. You've got more properties for sale because again, like I mentioned, they're at 47% in active listings. That means listings that are currently for sale that are sitting, waiting to be snatched up, but they're down this time from this time last year to only 413 under contract. That means that people in Ogden are leveling out with how much homes are going for and how long they're sitting and honestly, who can even afford them. And then Washington County, where St. George is, is up 10% to 229. So what does this mean? This means that if you're looking in Salt Lake County, not only is it not a great time to buy, it's probably not also the best time to sell. Because if you're wanting to stick around, there's not going to be that many to choose from. But if you want better choices, right now the single best place to go, most likely, would be where it's a pseudo buyer's market. It's where Ogden is. It's where there's more homes for sale than typical and less homes going under contract than typical. Everywhere else seems to be hot. That means that not only are there more listings available, but man, there are way more that are being snatched up in basically every other county. We're not seeing a slowing. The only reason why Salt Lake is down is honestly because there's just no more room. And then the last two things to give consideration for snapshot is listings that are withdrawn, meaning that they put them up for sale and for whatever reason they took them off. They are down 12% to just 509 taken off the market. So that could be that they chose to change their mind. They couldn't find a house to buy, financial hardship, something of that nature to where it didn't make sense for them to sell right now. And then lastly, what about off-market properties? Properties that we don't see on the MLS, but we know that they're for sale, for sale by owner typically. Those are down as well. And I can tell you definitively, a lot of those are down because people tried their hand at selling it on their own and realized how hard it is. 
took it off the market and put it back on the market with a real estate agent. That's your daily snapshot. Again, if you're looking to purchase right now, my number one pick would be Weber County, somewhere up there in uh, past Northern Salt Lake City, all the way up through Ogden. You're probably as a buyer gonna have a little bit more leverage with the current listings for sale. Good luck to you. Let me know if you need help with that. On our next segment, I'm gonna do a quick recap of what I spoke about last week on the market crash of 2008 and why that plays into better understanding what a short sell is and a foreclosure. Stay with us. All right, so on this segment, I wanna just do a quick recap. Last week, I spoke for 48 minutes on one topic. And if you're not down to listen to my breakdown of the 2008 market crash and why that's distinctly different from the circumstances that we're in right now, I'm going to give just a brief recap and why that pertains to better understanding what a short sale is versus a foreclosure. So this is the basic breakdown. Back in the early 2000s, loans were being given out to basically anybody. And they were doing that because of corporate greed. They were wanting more loans so that they could take those loans and package them and then basically sell those off like securities and or stocks. And they were making money from the buying and selling and the fees incorporated with those securities, essentially. And so they took those mortgage-backed securities and they took out insurance policies against them just so that in case people decided to default on their loans, that at least they knew that they would get their money back through the insurance company. Well, everybody got in over their head. The banks lended too much money. The buyers took on too much money that they couldn't afford to pay back because interest rates were uh, very adjustably finicky. And then the insurance companies decided that they would take on way more than they had in reserves. Basically, at the end of the day, people couldn't pay back their mortgages, and that resorted into them leaving their properties, uh, thus allowing many, many, many of them to be foreclosed on. And when you have multiple months in a row of digressing valuations for properties, that is what's known as a bubble. It did burst, and then it required that these insurance companies pay up. They didn't have the money to pay up. The government inevitably would have to stand in and bail everybody out and then create more stringent regulations that would create better buyers for the future uh, who, when they would go through underwriting, again, a process of vetting a buyer, making sure that they have the money and the job and the, uh, you know, the credit history to pay back these mortgages so that we don't find ourselves in this financial deprivation ever again. So that's a basic recap. The reason why it's different today than it is back then is simple. The buyers who are buying these homes, even though they're more expensive homes, okay, even though most homes are being snatched up quickly and it's like, how can there be this many qualified buyers? These buyers legitimately are qualified. That means that they have a great history of paying things back, not to mention they do have the money to put down on the home. And the interest rate, which is another variable that we can mess with, was so low 
that it allowed for more people to buy more expensive homes because less was being paid toward interest. So what's one way that we can kind of level out the playing field? We're seeing it right now. They're raising the interest rate. And uh, just as a quick lesson, for every quarter of a percent it goes up, you and I lose about twenty to $30,000 in buying power. So if we had a $400,000 like loan limit, now we're at three seventy. dollars So as it continues to rise, and it, it will, it's over 4% now, as it continues to kind of creep its way to 5 we're going to see a leveling of buyers because you have to be extremely well qualified now to afford more home in a market where homes are going for more. So I've got Ryan with me. Ryan was silently, patiently listening to me discuss this with myself, basically, and all of you going through each detail of this very uh, convoluted mess. What's one or two takeaways, Ryan, that you had from last week's podcast episode? Um, one of the things I've been thinking about is I like kind of, you know, went through it again and thinking about like something you brought up, like, you know, how the movie, The Big Short and all these things, like the way that we look at that time from the eyes of, you know, 12, 15 years later. um, It feels like there was people that were trying to sound the alarm, people that were trying to like say, look what's happening. And they were being ignored. But it doesn't seem like it's something that should have been hard to miss. Like it should have been like a more obvious. And I'm wondering, like, is that mean that are we being more vigilant now to catch things like that? Or is there always going to be something under the like under the surface there that's going to be potentially turn into like a huge disaster like it did in 2008? It's a great question. I think it's extremely valid. Part of the reason why that we found ourselves in that circumstance wasn't because people were incapable of seeing it. I think that's part of your point is obviously people saw it and they made it aware to others. In my opinion, and this is just my opinion, there are two factors to that. Number one would be just social perception. Oh, this is real estate. This, how can this fail? Oh, these are big corporations that are lending and insuring. This is too big to fail. So just social perception is we're good. We're all making money. How can we fail? Where is the financial economic downfall present? The second thing would be because they were making so much money, that required that there was less oversight. They wanted less oversight for money now without realizing that the lack of ability to perform later, and by perform, I mean the ability for the homeowner to pay their mortgage. That's called performance. If there's a lack of performing, we didn't even really consider what that would be like if literally everybody started defaulting. So it would, yeah, could it happen again? Theoretically, yes, but not in the way that it happened in 2008 because those have now incredible oversight that they didn't used to have. So it seems like the one of the reasons why it was not being flagged or wasn't sounding alarms the way that it should have is because the end result was like, this is going to make us a lot of money. So yes. if for some reason, somehow the market or like the stock, like the, if things didn't crash, like if somehow there was a way to like not freak out the stock market and that day, like, and they were able to ride that it was the plan to like give all these people property so that now people had wealth in this property and then that wealth would, I just don't understand what the, I mean, this is obviously probably another, you know, several more episodes to talk yes. about, but, but 
what is the advantage to having people that can't pay back loans have these big loans? I mean, I don't understand. Like, I guess looking at it from my perspective and having been someone who's been turned down for a loan or two in my life, it's like, why would, uh, why would there have been a time when somebody who wasn't capable of paying loans, having those loans, be, who is that benefiting? I don't. It was initially benefiting those mortgage-backed security bundles. So the more lenders who could lend could have more mortgages that could be bundled. And so they thought by lessening those regulations, they could have more initial buyers because they had kind of capped themselves on current potential buyers because back, back then you had to put down 20%. So that limited your pool. But what if they relaxed a little and then they started giving money to people? Now, what they could have done is they could have relaxed slower and still required you know, money down, but they were like, no money down, that's fine. What about people who don't have a good history of even paying their credit card payments? That's fine. You know, if they have a 500 credit score, we'll still give them money. And because homes were in more available at the time, then it gave this false perception. And so initially, people were like, this is working. Clearly, they're buying it and they're paying it back. The biggest issue was that it wasn't an accurate mortgage payment because the interest rates were so tiny initially and that when those ran out. So again, that's recapping. But the point in my comment is this. There wasn't forethought. It was greed. I think greed is a legitimate disease and problem that we can suffer from that lacks foresight. Because if we had any, we wouldn't be so greedy now. And so what happened was that these individuals were benefiting from lender origination fees and servicing fees. So they were making money every time they made a payment because, like Ryan, most of those payments were interest only. So every single dollar was going straight to their pocket. Nothing was going toward the home. And then, yes, the other part was because they were paying for those homes and living in those homes and less homes were available, scarcity drives prices and evaluations up. And as long as people are living in those homes and paying for them, then yeah, the mortgages that were, were kind of playing a part into the overall equity of those homes and they were making money on the equity as well. So that does that make sense or what, else, what other clarifying comments would you say? Oh, it makes you know? sense. It yeah. makes sense. It just doesn't make sense that it, it happened. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a big argument for a lot of people. And that's why a lot of people think it's happening now. Yeah. People are, are wondering when this is going to drop now. The, well, you can see, you can see like that idea. Like, so we're talking about the market and the, how things are changing, like just in homes available, you can see yeah. like, this is like, it feels some of those stats kind of feel reminiscent of the things you just described prior to 2008, just what caused the idea to like, well, let's change the interest rate and let's, let's change who we're giving loans to. Like, it seems like if you have a, if you have a situation where there's not enough people buying homes that adjustment's going to be made. And so yeah. I think that the way that things are going now, just from my perspective and what I'm learning from, you know, you telling us this stuff is like, at some point there's not going to be people that can afford the homes that are available. And so something that feels like that's the recipe for that situation. It tends to be the recipe for those who are left out, but everybody who's currently 
in their homes, living in them, they're well qualified. They had to put something down unless they live in a rural community and did a USDA loan that's zero down or unless they've served our country and have a VA loan that's zero down. And so everybody else has to put something down. When you have to put something down, in my opinion, it does something to you psychologically where when you invest up front, you're more likely to maintain it. If you don't have to pay for something, you're less likely to take care of it if something's just handed to you. That is actually a pretty good segue into this next segment, which is what is a short sale and what is a foreclosure? Now, I am putting you on the spot a little bit, but you know, you, you also have access to my notes here. Before today, could you have told me what is a short sale or or what's a foreclosure? I mean, basically, I think yeah. I don't I don't have the, know the ins and outs, but I know it's uh, foreclosures are you know when you can't pay your loan and the bank takes it yep. back, and the short sale is comes on the side of like trying to not take all those losses and to sell what you can. You nailed it. That is is actually probably what most people think, and they'd be right. This segment isn't to really uh, tell everybody, oh, this is how you got it wrong and this is what it really is. But what I'm going to describe here is, is if you find yourself in a circumstance where you come across one of these listings and you'd like to know how you can obtain one of these properties, I'm going to help you understand how that process works. So I'm going to first go into short sales. Short sale or pre-foreclosure sale is a simple term meaning that the lender is going to accept an amount short of the amount you actually owe. So for example, if a person ends up selling their house for $150,000, but they still owe $175,000, then the lender and you can work out that that would be acceptable even though there's a deficiency of twenty five dollars so they know that they're going to be losing out on that money, but there's an opportunity cost versus the opportunity lost, right? So this is what happens sometimes individuals, like as what happened in 2008, when interest rates kicked in that they could not then handle their payment. If you yourself have ever been in this circumstance where maybe your savings ran out, your expenses increased because something in your family happened or there was a financial hardship, something physical happened to you, life changes. Life gets really hard and you don't always have a safety net. Maybe you lose your job and you realize you can't pay your rent, you can't pay your mortgage. Then there are consequences to taking on things financially that you cannot pay back. And so the first option, which is still a good option, is considered a short sale. Okay, I'm seeing the writing on the wall. And I'm going to try and sell my house. Now, per the 2008 crash, people were hoping they could flip. I bought it for this amount, but it's actually worth more now. No harm, no foul. I can't pay for it anymore, but I'm going to sell. I'm going to make money. But as everybody started doing that and the dominoes started falling, house prices started to decrease in value because they became ever available. And when there's a lack of scarcity, then it becomes a buyer's market. And that means buyers have the pick of the litter. They can choose whatever, which one they want, which means people are starting to sell them for less and less so that they can at least get something for it. So let's say that this example is an individual who's 
kind of toward the end in their buy, their their selling of their home. They're like, okay, listen, I, I can't afford this anymore. I can't afford these payments. I need to get rid of this house. Now I'm underwater. I owe more than I can get for it. Then that process is called short sale. And there's a couple things that happen. The lender, this is initiated by the owner, okay? This is still kind of within your power. You go to the lender and you say, I have to do this. And they say, okay, we have two options. We're going to just let you do that. And we're going to just forgive the balance. Or after you do that, we're going to come after you for what's called a deficiency judgment. And we're going to make you pay that over time back to us. And oftentimes in the state of Utah, they do a forgiving of that often because they could put what's called a lien on the home. But in cases of short sales, they don't have liens. They just forgive the deficiency. A lien, by the way, is any type of payment that's required on the property before that property can be sold to a new owner. And there's lots of kinds of liens. I will not go into it today, but I promise to go into it another time. You may have encountered this as you've purchased a home and the title agency gave you a title report and there's liens on it that you ha- then had to go to the court and discuss how do you uh, satisfy those liens before you buy it. Okay, so moving on. The process is very arduous because now you have the bank involved. This is the process, and the process can take typically, my experience, nine months to a year. So if you're looking at getting into a property today, uh, you're probably going to have to play ball with the builders out there or the sellers here in these different counties. But when we had more short sales and foreclosures available, which we do not now because, again, there's scarcity, but when we did, then you could have gone through this process and there's still some available. There's just still some properties that weren't very well taken care of. There's no way they can, people are in over their heads. They took on more of the house than they thought they could afford and they're going to sell it. Then this process goes to the bank and you have to work with the bank and the paperwork and with the bank and the process literally is very lengthy because here's the deal. The bank has all the money. They may sit and wait until they find a buyer who will give them the most for this property. So they have to determine, based on the current borrower, the homeowner, their financial situation, how likely is it that they themselves can pay this back? We're going to work with them. And the lender may even give forgiveness for a time so that that homeowner can actually go find another job or earn a little bit more money and start paying that back. Now, there's always a fee with that, but they're going to say, we're going to do whatever we can to keep you in your home to let you have it. So a short sale is this period of time where lots of variables are involved. It's because the buyer is capable enough of seeing that they're not going to be able to pay this back, at least not today. And they work with the bank either to help you as the seller, as you as the buyer, buy the home, or as they as the seller can figure out a way to still pay for it. That's why it takes forever. Because by the way, the bank doesn't like changing hands if they don't have to. If they can keep the current homeowner on the hook and get the full amount, they're going to. Secondly, what is a foreclosure then? 
So if I were to ask you, Ryan, what do you think the main difference between a, a short sale and a foreclosure is just offhand? What would you say? Um, I'm saying the foreclosure is a little more, the bank is taking what it wants and then not working with you quite as much. You nailed it. So, so when you, it's, it's kind of like, I don't know, listen, I'm not a parent, but I'm a child of one. So my parents were so willing to work with me if I went to them. We had one rule in my house growing up, literally, don't lie to us. Because if you lie to us, we cannot help you. So there was this rule, and my parents wanted to foster communication. This is the way they did it. If every time you come and talk to us, you get in trouble, then you're going to stop coming to talk to us, right? But if every time you come and talk to us, we work with you on a solution, and you don't always get in trouble, you're more likely to keep talking to us. So I developed a great relationship with my parents because of this. Anytime anything would happen, let's say I'm a homeowner who can't pay it back and they're the bank. If I go to them and I preemptively say, I'm struggling, can you work with me? They are absolutely going to work with you. I've seen this time and time again. But if you are the type where the bank, aka the parents, have to come after you because they find it out from some other thing, they're going to give you the maximum punishment. So that was the rule in my house. If we find something out that you don't tell us, you're going to get the maximum punishment. But if you come to us, you won't be punished. We'll work with you on it. That is foreclosure. Foreclosure is when the borrower defaults. We talked about this last week as the default swap. Remember, the swap was the borrower no longer pays the bank. The insurance pays the bank, right? That's the swap. If you, as the borrower, default on one payment, technically, they can foreclose you on your home. Now, they're not going to. What they're going to do is they're going to wait till you miss two payments and they're going to send a demand letter, okay? And this is all in the paperwork that you signed when you bought your home and all the terms vary, but they're generally around the lines of, we can literally make you pay for the house right now in full because you've missed your payments. The more serious like option is that as they as you keep missing, they're going to send you what's called a notice of default after 90 days of those missed payments. So guys, you have to really want to lose your house to foreclosure for it to be foreclosed on. Literally, you either have to leave the property and neglect it and just say, I don't know who that is who owes money there. Or you have to start squatting in that home, which won't even get to the squatting rights right now, and just stop paying for a while. It's literally after three months of you not paying that they start sending you these notices. And then the borrower typically has, even after that, another 30 days to make, start making payments again. This is called the reinstatement period. I don't know if you've ever had a subscription to something where they say, you've missed your payments. If you miss another one, you're going you to cancel it. And if you want to become a member again, there's going to be a reinstatement fee. Okay. That's this. They're going to give you a whole period of a month to try and figure this out. So over a six-month period, you are going to have opportunities to pay back. Now, if you do not, the consequences are much more severe. Here's the best part about a short sale. It's not a massive ding on your credit. Most of the time, the banks will work with you to get you into another property that you can't afford. The difference with that in foreclosure is this. 
if you stop paying, you're not a good borrower. That house is going to be seized by the lender, a.k.a. typically the bank. And they are going to take it and they're going to sell it at auction. I started my career in real estate in Texas by taking investors' money and I would literally go to the courthouse steps in Dallas and Fort Worth at the courthouse with a whole bunch of other people at an auction, just literally like you see it like on Storage Wars. Not even kidding. It's just like that. And we went with all this money. We had bodyguards with us that was standing there with us because you have to pay it in full in cash. And we got wise and started bringing cashier's checks. So can't really spend those uh, if you steal them. But we had $2 million worth of investor money and we'd go buy 10 homes. And we would literally, we have no idea what's in them. They close the homes. They board them up. You can't look at, you can try and peep inside, but you can't go in. You don't know what you're taking on. But these homes have been winterized. Their utilities are shut off. They winterize the pipes so that the pipes don't burst. They There's no utilities going to the house, so no electricity, no plumbing. And oftentimes, we would literally drive by and see, did they steal the air condensers on the outside because they have copper in them. So people would go and steal the appliances. They break in. That's why they're boarded up. So foreclosed on homes, they carry with it a lot of steps to, to, to buy it. And I'm not joking. By the time a foreclosed on home is ready to buy, it's been nearly two to three years by then. So that home has been sitting there. The bank seizes it. And here's what's going to happen to you. You are going to be dinged for seven years. You're not going to, your credit is going to be dinged and you're going to be put on a blacklist. You're not going to be able to buy anything for seven years. Most likely, you're going to be able to buy anything because your credit's going to be uh, dinged so poorly. This is what happened to everybody in 2008. This is why everybody who defaulted and foreclosed on their homes and squatted or left their homes were dinged so bad because they should never have been given that opportunity in the first place. And it, honestly, it's not fair because they thought that the government it was looking at them as a worthy buyer and they really weren't. So the main difference between these two things is this. If you come across a short sale listing, let me know. I can help you through this process. It will take about a year to make sure that the bank is cool with the amount we agree on. I mean, I can't buy the house for a dollar. That cannot be agreed on amount. The second thing is going to be if you find yourself in foreclosure, You've got to really want to foreclose on that home. You've got to really literally neglect it to the point where you don't care about your own life. Just know this. If you do that, you're not going to be able to do anything for many, many years after that. That does it for this segment between short sales and foreclosures. Uh, Last up, I'm just going to briefly discuss what do you do if you've got a home to sell and no home to buy? Stay with us. All right, you may be in the circumstance where you're thinking, I want to capitalize on this current market. I own a home and I want to sell it because I want to buy. But man, what do I do if I have a house to sell? These are the scenarios. If you're selling and you're moving out of state, well, good luck to you. This is the easiest thing on the earth to possibly do right now in our state is sell. You're probably going to get the most for it that anybody's going to get because interest rates are creeping up. So do it now. And then, you know, good luck to wherever you're going. Hopefully it's cheaper than here. The second scenario is going to be you're selling because you have a home you're building. Many of my clients do this. 
And I'm the suggestions I have are going to be f- uh, including if you're building, okay? Uh, if you're renting in your building or if you're selling in your building and you're just waiting, okay? What if you're selling but you can't find a home or you're trying to find a home and you still have to sell? Like you have found that home. You want it. You went to an open house offhand and you decide, I really want this home, but I still have a home to sell. What do I do? Okay, so some options that you have are this. Something that my brother did while he was building a home is he lived with his in-laws for nine months. This is a great option if you can tolerate living with family or friends and they won't charge you too much, if anything, and you can help around the house. Then you can save a lot of money toward those uh, future payments. Okay, That would be the number one thing. Another option would be try and get a house-sitting gig. If you know somebody who is needing to be away from home for a little bit, and you can stay there for a while and house it and take care of everything even better. A third option is going to be try and find a short-term rental. You can try an Airbnb. Uh, There are places that will do 30-day short-term rentals. You can typically find those on KSL if you're in the state of Utah. Craigslist, uh, you might be able to find those on apartments.com or Rentler. Just some type of website where someone has special circumstances, and maybe their community will not allow them to to do nightly rentals. So if they do Airbnb, they'll be dinged by the HOA. So if you do like something like a month at a time, they'll let that happen. Or this is the main thing. And this is what we negotiate as real estate agents. This is why you want someone who knows what they're doing. If you're buying a home and or selling your home and you need to either be in it for a little bit longer and those buyers, you know, they know that, then you can do what's called a lease back agreement. So in that situation, you can go to the seller and say, hey, we're going to buy your house and we're going to let you stay in your house for 30 more days, 60 more days, you know, 90 more days. We're going to let you stay and we're, you're going to be responsible for the utilities and you're either going to charge them a daily rate or a monthly fee or nothing. I'm seeing offers right now where people are not only giving up all their contingencies. Hey, we're going to give you hard earnest money. We're not going to do buyer due diligence. We're going to waive appraisal. Not only that, we're going to let you stay in the house for three months for free, and we're going to pay the mortgage. So these are ways that you guys can still sell your house and stay in your house while you're looking to either build that house or find a property to purchase. Now, if you're buying, this is the last thing I'll say. If you're trying to find a home to buy and you do, you find a home that you really like and you want to make an offer on, but you haven't sold your house yet. I'm telling you right now, you will legally not be allowed to put in an offer until your home is listed on the MLS or somewhere. It has to be listed. There's zero people who are going to take your offer and say, oh, cool, you still have a home to sell? You haven't taken pictures or put it up for sale? Great. I guess we're going to wait for you to do that? No, it needs to be for sale. Everybody knows you'll sell it. Everybody. Everybody I've ever talked to, any agent, no one's worried that these homes are going to be sold. But take it from me. If you're looking to purchase a home, do not hesitate. Get your pictures done. Talk to your agent or whomever is going to help you with this listing. Okay? And get that thing prepped 
so that there's a way to prep those listings in the MLS without pushing it live. So right now I have two listings that I don't even, they're, they are ready to go the second I am ready to push them live. Once my buyers and I find a property that they really like, I'm going to push it live. We're going to show them the MLS number and they have a pre-approval letter. They're ready to purchase. Like I always say in all my episodes, do everything that you can so that you can make a decision today. The last thing I'll say is this. The best thing that you can do right now is to financially figure out where you are. Let Talk to me. I can send you to some great loan officers who can work with you. And no matter what your situation is, we can get you a pre-approval letter. We can get you all ready and set up so that you can purchase, so that you're ready to jump at that open house when you see it next. This has been the episode. Today, we've talked about the best possible place right now to purchase probably is going to be Weber County because it might be a little bit more in your favor if you want this to be more of a buyer's market. I also talked about the difference between a short sell and a foreclosure. And then lastly, discussed what are your options if you're selling? Don't quite have your next set planned. Thanks so much for always listening. If you have questions or comments about previous episodes like this last episode on the 2008 housing crash, and if you want to learn more about things in the housing market, like liens, what does that mean? How does that affect my ability to buy a home? What should I look out for? Those types of things. Let me know. Happy to talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. Thanks again for listening. Thanks so much to Mountain Air Studios here in Draper, Utah, and to the producer, Ryan, for always being willing to be on the show, edit our episodes, and help get those transcripts out so people can also read those online. If you have any questions, DM me at It's Unreal Estate uh, on Instagram or follow me on TikTok. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thank you.